Our Old Testament reading starts from Isaiah chapter 10, verse 33, the last couple of verses of chapter 10 of Isaiah, and then Isaiah 11 through 10. Let's hear God's word. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop off the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. But there shall come forth a fruit, a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's nest. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the people's. And of him the nation shall inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray again. Now, O God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this is my family's fourth year of living in South Florida. And one of the things that we still haven't quite gotten used to, among other things, is Christmas in South Florida. (laughs) The first Christmas we were here, uh, we went to the beach. I actually, just in preparation for the sermon, decided to check what the temperature was that day. The Internet's amazing. Uh, It was 82 degrees, our first Christmas in South Florida. We had moved from the Chicago area, where it was slightly different. Uh, Now, believe me, I'm not going to complain about 80-degree winter days. But I will say that seeing Christmas lights, snowman decorations on palm trees still takes some getting used to uh, from our living up north. And I don't at all, by the way, miss wearing snow boots, shoveling snow and all the rest. But there was something about living up north about the dead of winter and celebrating Christ's birth at that time when everything is stark dead. There's no leaves on the trees. Uh, You get scenes where white all around from snow and maybe one evergreen tree bright against the sort of stark contrast. Uh, It's a poignant reminder to me that in the darkest season, and Chicago would get dark, it seems like at four o'clock in the afternoon, uh, this lifeless season that we can celebrate with hope, the coming of the world's true light. Uh, Jesus came to us, you might say, when things couldn't get any darker. Jesus comes to us. When the world is cold, 
The Son of God came in the deadness of winter that He might bring us the life of spring. Now, whether Jesus was born on December 25th or not, that symbolism, that, that sort of hope we can have is something for us to think about. Uh, all of this might be harder, by the way, to visualize in South Florida uh, in this glorious winter time, uh, but you can still get the same idea. And this year, I think we have this added reminder in a horrible year like 2020 that we can hope in the coming of God's Son. Uh, the holidays can be a tough time for many, actually, every year, uh, and perhaps even more this year. So what we need is something more than just the sentiment of our secular culture. So much of Christmas, just sentimentality. But the true hope of the coming of God's Son. True new life in Jesus Christ. So I want us to think about this as we look at our scripture reading today. It's really a great setup when we open our portion of Isaiah to here. We get a scene actually about deadness, about lifelessness, in fact, barrenness, desolation. And yet there's a glimmer of hope of new life. And that's really the theme of this message today, the true hope of God in desperate, despairing times. So let's just jump into our passage then. As you look at Isaiah, then the Bible's depiction, you might say, of Christmas doesn't begin in blessing and joy, uh, but actually in darkness and judgment. Our passage begins with a kind of death, the deadness of Israel. God's own people are dead in their trespasses and in their sins. And if you know anything about the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, anything really about the Old Testament prophets, then you know that God's people Israel turned away from God. The Lord had called Israel to be a set-apart people, to be a light, in fact, among the nations, that they would be a witness to God's holiness and His love. But God's special people thought they had a better way of doing it, deciding for themselves what is right, deciding to follow their own desires rather than trusting God in the path that He had. And so far in this book, of Isaiah, leading up to the chapters we have, Isaiah has been telling them over and over again, God is going to judge you. He's going to punish his own people. And the really surprising thing is that God's actually going to do this by raising up a pagan nation, Assyria, to do his work. Let me just give you some vivid images leading up to our passage today that Isaiah uses in these early chapters. Uh, he says that the Lord is going to whistle for Assyria, and Assyria is going to come and invade. In fact, uh, the invasion of the Assyrians is going to be like a flood. Think of the river Euphrates. It's going to flood the whole land. And Isaiah says it's going to come up to your neck, Judah. The waters are going to surround you. Another image is that the Assyrians are like a razor in the hand of God. Striking image. It's going to shave off the beard of Judah. This is a picture of the Assyrians really coming through the land and desolating everything. Like a man giving himself a close close shave. The Assyrians are going to shave off even the stubble. Nothing is going to be left. Uh, Assyria, we're told too, is like a rod in the hand of the Lord. He says, I'm a good father. I'm going to discipline my son and I'm going to raise up Assyria to do the disciplining. But the main image we get at the start of our passage today is a passage. It's a really pervasive one in Isaiah and it's all about trees, all about trees. Assyria is like an axe in the hand of the Lord. And the Lord is going to use this axe of Assyria to chop and chop and chop until the whole forest of Israel 
is taken down. That's what we find here at the end of chapter 10. Assyria isn't doing anything but what the Lord has called them to do. In other words, it's the Lord swinging this axe against you, Isaiah says. At the end of chapter 10, we see how devastating it's going to be. He's going to lop off the branches with terrifying power. The great and height are going to be hewn down. The thickets are going to be brought low. Now, as we think about this image of trees, you might think this is actually somewhat a literal image. In fact, you can find uh, Assyria in the history books, uh, oftentimes burned, as many other countries did, burned all around forests, around it, took down the forests to use for their instruments of war. In that sense, Israel would be quite desolate physically. But there's actually a deeper meaning here, and it's one that we shouldn't miss. In the Bible, trees represent people. And it's really important if we're going to understand this prophecy, in fact, about a root from Jesse, a tender sprig. Uh, You can think with me, Psalm 1, beginning of the Psalms, where the righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water. But this image of tree goes back even further in our Bible. Israel, actually, as a whole, as God's covenant people, is called a plant. God says, I plucked you up from Egypt. In fact, I brought you on eagle's wings to plant you in this lush, promised land. And God says, I did this that you might bear fruit for the nations, might provide shade, you might be a great tree for the nations. It might even remind us of that very first tree In the Bible, a tree that was to bring life in the Garden of Eden. Even in God's promise, all the way back to Abraham calling this special people, God promises seed, which really kind of has a twofold meaning. In one sense, it means children, descendants that will come after you, but literally you can also think of it seed in the sense of being a planting of the Lord for a fruitful harvest. And Isaiah often plays on this language of the seed. But what Isaiah really comes proclaiming is that this covenant plant, the tree of Israel, is in fact rotten. And what do you have to do with a rotten tree? Is you have to cut it down. When the Lord brings an axe against Judah, He says He starts first by chopping off the high branches. He's chopping off the high and lofty people, God says. Those who puff themselves up in pride are going to be brought low. There's this whole critique throughout the book of Isaiah, that those who presume to be high and lifted up, but only the Lord is the high and exalted one. The Lord's going to chop down those tallest trees in Judah, the high and mighty, but the Lord's chopping isn't going to just stop at the nobles, at the leaders. He's going to the very root, to the kingdom and house of David itself. Not only is Israel a kind of tree as a whole, but in particular Israel's kingship, that line of kings that God himself promised David, he, that is the tree that's going to be chopped down. Look at chapter 10, moves right into chapter 11, where we're told that all that's left is a stump. The Lord is chopping, branches are falling with a terrible crash, and the Lord is going to chop at the tree of David, the Davidic tree and dynasty, the family line, until there's nothing left of this tree. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 11, what's left of Israel's dynasty of the house of David? A shoot will spring out from the root of Jesse. Notice that. Do you remember Jesse in your Bible? Not a name that actually gets used very much. In fact, this is the only time in the prophetic books of the Old Testament that Jesse is mentioned. Well, he's the father 
of King David. And the point of mentioning Jesse instead of just David is this. If the Lord is going to chop the tree down, not just to King David, but to David's father, what does that mean? It's as if David himself never existed. The family tree of David is going to be cut down even before the beginning of that line. All that's going to be left is pre-David, is Jesse. See, when all of the branches fall, then the branch can come forth. The branch. Usually there's hope in the prophets. There's often hope that another David would come. One who would rule like David. But Isaiah is saying here that the Lord is going to keep chopping at this tree of David as if it never existed. The roots, and you can't see the roots of a tree, unseen, hidden under the ground, are all that's left. This word stump tells us that the whole tree is coming down. Uh, that's how radical, in a sense, the surgery is going to be. That's how deeply the Lord is going to cut into his own people. He's going to chop and chop and chop until that nothing is left but the roofs. People are going to look around, Isaiah says. The nations are going to look around and say, there was once a great nation in Israel, but what's become of it? There was once a great dynasty, but there's no sign of it. There's just a smoldering stump, roots which no one can see in the midst of this. To the onlooker, it's going to look like everything is gone. Everything is dead. So when I tell you that Christmas is about light in darkness. It's about resurrection. It's about new life. We have to understand first the bad news. This prophecy about Christ comes in the midst of a lot of bad news. It's a dark time. It looks like the light in Israel is going out. It looks like the dead of winter in Chicago, not like South Florida. Why would God do this? What's the Lord up to in this? Why doesn't he just rescue his people from these warlike empires? But this is the Lord's surgery. It's part of his rescue operation. You see, Israel has a disease deep down in them. It's not just on the surface level cancer that can be removed easily. It's a malignancy at the core. And so the Lord's surgery is deep and cutting. And the Lord does that with us, too, even as we think about the pandemic and church and how are we going to exist in all of this. It's not unique to what he did with Judah. The Lord brings trials into our lives. He brings all kinds of crises into our lives. And so we cry out like Judah, we're overwhelmed. Deliver us. The water has come up to our neck. We're drowning. Or we've been in these circumstances where we feel a lot of pressure in our life. We're feeling a kind of despair. Where is the Lord? He's chopping off branches of my life. What is he doing? Stop chopping, God. That's not going to be anything left if you keep chopping, Lord. You're going to make me a stump. That's what the Lord sometimes does to us. It's the way the Lord treats Judah. It's the way the Lord treats his church and the way he deals with all his sons and daughters. For the children of the Lord, every judgment, every discipline is a reason for hope. See, the point of all of this, the point of all this radical surgery is the Lord is going to do through this a greater work than he could have done otherwise. Just rescuing Israel from Assyria. Well, that's a great work, but there's something greater to come. And that's exactly when he does his greatest work. When he has humbled us down to the roots, then the Lord rescues. Then the Lord intervenes. That's what he does 
with Judah down to the roots, a stump, but then a tiny green sprout springs forth from the roots. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, a forest after a forest fire. In fact, we could say here in South Florida after a hurricane when just everything is taken down. It almost makes you want to cry. It's devastating just to look at a barren landscape like this. And you think sometimes looking on a scene like that, there is no way that this could ever be restored. There's no way that this could ever recover from something like this. But in Isaiah's picture, he says, look closer, look closer still, look closer still. And out of all that blackened remains, there's a little green bud that's seeming to come out of this dead stump. That's the image of this passage from the dark time of Israel's judgment going into exile. God is going to send new life. He's going to break open the deadness of Israel and bring life to his people. And the rest of this passage is actually all about the astonishing results that come from this tiny shoot. This is a little tiny shoot. We're not talking about something big here. But from this, all the way back to to cutting down this uh, tree to the stump, there's going to rise uh, something of new life. The branch is not just another king like David. If you've actually chopped down past David, this is David risen from the dead, you might say. This is a new David all over, starting over, raising this up. And look what this new David does. This tiny shoot is filled with the spirit of the God, the sevenfold spirit of God. The spirit is going to rest on this branch. He's going to correct all the ills of God's people. You know, from the beginning of the prophecy in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah has been prophesying against the rulers of Judah because their mistreatment of the poor, of the downtrodden. They keep oppressing the needy. He says judges are taking brides. The rich always get the verdict on their side. The wealthy are getting special treatment. All of this, but verses 2 through 8 first tells us about the character of this branch, that he has integrity. That he comes with righteousness and justice. And verses 6 through 10 then tell us the result of this reign. We're moving from something very little, a tiny shoot, to suddenly we're talking about the whole world. Look what happens when the branch comes. Look what happens when the tree of David is reborn after the Lord has cut down Judah to the roots. Then the branch does what Israel should have done from the beginning. The branch is going to judge with righteousness the poor, with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. Justice and righteousness will be a belt about his waist. What a great image. The Lord not only takes on our weak humanity, he does it perfectly with justice and with righteousness. Once the Lord chopped down Judah to nothing, then he's going to bring a branch that will restore justice to Israel and through Israel to the world. And the result of this is peace, a real peace, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. This vision of peace is probably one of the most famous in all of Isaiah. Predator and prey are going to lie down together. So even the animal kingdom is going to feel the results of this great restoration and salvation. That God's going to wipe evil clean off this earth. It's going to be like the Garden of Eden before sin. In fact, it's going to be better than Eden. Notice with me verse 8. You have a couple times we have a little child in the midst of this picture. Here the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. 
every mom kind of shudders at this picture here of letting your kid around the snake hole. But why can the child do this? Well, because there's no more serpent. You can let your child play around the serpent's nest when the serpent head has been crushed, when the fatal wound has been applied. Then you can play around the snake. See, Adam tried to play with the snake, didn't he? But he got bitten. He fooled around with a serpent and he got stung by the viper. And in fact, that poison is still with us. But when the branch springs forth, the root of Jesse, there is a triumph over the serpent, Satan. But because Judah has been cut to nothing, this branch has come from a barren stump. Devastation gives way to restoration from judgment to hope. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, the Spirit gives knowledge, we're told, to this branch, and it spreads out over the whole earth. Isaiah had already said, My people go into exile for lack of knowledge. But here, the knowledge of the Lord is going to go forth. God's going to call back His people. He's going to bring them back. The pain and discipline will be over, and God is going to unite them under this banner of the branch. There's going to be reconciliation after all of this. It's a kind of paradox here. It's actually precisely when Israel thought that God was abandoning them that God is doing His greatest work. He's saving them. He's patient with His promise. The Lord clears out the wicked and the pretenders for this true, perfect ruler to come. Beloved, of course, all this that we're talking about is Christ our branch, the long-awaited Messiah, the promised King who is the true tree of David. He said His kingdom is like a tiny mustard seed. It starts off small. You see a little shoot, but when it grows, it becomes the greatest of all trees. And the nations come and rest in its branches. Many of these images of Isaiah remind me of J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. So indulge me for a nerd moment for a second. If you know Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, uh, Tolkien once described his uh, theme of his books as hope in darkness. It's a great picture of that, hope in the darkness. If you know the story, it's about a kingdom, Gondor. It was great once, but its line of kings was broken. In fact, it's so broken that there's a tree of the king uh, in the palace of the courtyard. It reflects the king's reign, that it's withered, and it looks dead. It stopped flowering its great king's flowers. But from this despair actually comes renewal when the prophecies are fulfilled. When the true king comes and sits on his throne, maybe you know the great poem of that. From the ashes a fire shall be woken, a light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken, and the crownless again shall be king. See, when all was dark for Gondor, in fact, their enemies were surrounding them. It can remind us of Isaiah. Suddenly, mysteriously, the bloom appears again on the tree of the king. Why? Well, the king is now here. And the king draws near in a similar way. This glorious prophecy about Jesus comes in a dark time for Israel's history. It's all about the news of judgment, exile. It's really a picture for us of human inability. We're utterly incapable of saving ourselves. We're dead. We're without health in ourselves, just like that barren stump of Jesse. But in our deadness, God sends the Savior. Some of our best Advent Christmas songs really capture this yearning for Christ 
in a dark time. If you know the ancient hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel, very old hymn, we have this word, this verse, O come, thou branch of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory over the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And he did come. Our Emmanuel, God with us, despite its difficult history, the king came and his tree is evergreen, you might say. And yet we still await for this kingdom fully. We're kind of in the middle of this passage of of Isaiah where the king has come, but it doesn't quite look like everything is fulfilled yet. The wolf isn't lying down with the lamb. You still have to keep your kids from the serpent's nest. So we wait. And in some ways, we wait like Israel waited at this prophecy at the beginning. We see surprising ways it came to pass, but we still pray as a church, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. If you have a Christmas tree set up in your home, even here in sunny South Florida, remember the tree of David. Remember the branch that came as a tiny shoot, a tender sprig from the root of Jesse. Remember that David's tree had to be cut down to a stump in order that this branch might spring forth from its deadness. Remember the Lord's promise of life. Await his coming again. Rejoice in the true king who rules now, even in our tough times in our life. The God we worship is a God who often comes at the darkest moment. As one of my friends says, God likes fourth quarter comes back, Hail Mary passes and walk off home runs. Christmas, in many ways, is like this. From the barren and dead stump of Jesse, we have a a tree that springs forth, a tender sprig. In the darkness of death, the light of the world shines. So take heart, brothers and sisters, and whatever you're going through together, this is our hope too. We await our Savior again in His coming. We face these trials In our life, when the Lord brings trials near, it seems like he's only there with an axe. We think like he's only there for judgment. But every judgment, every discipline is a reason for hope. And our hope is that we know God's greatest work. The work he performed in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The same work he does for us to bring new life out of death. This is your promise fulfilling God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the true David, the true tree of life, the righteous branch. We thank you that through him we have life and through him his spirit has been poured out on us. We thank you that your people are united to him, that through him we have victory over our enemies. We thank you that through him all your promises of long past are yes and amen. We pray that in our various trials, Lord, that you will grant us hope in him, that you will raise us from the dead, that you will give us new and more glorious life on the other side of the grave, that we might greet with joy the final coming of our King and Savior who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.